Mizzou's most insightful sports talk from your favorite bench warmers is now available to listen anytime, anywhere. After every Friday's show with Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones, we post a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, and anywhere else you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter at KCOU Walk-Ons. End your week with preferred walk-ons, a part of KCOU Sports, and now streaming. Welcome in to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM. The Blue Box, Ben Crackout, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you here on this Friday afternoon, the first Friday in March. Got a lot to get to today on today's show. We're going to talk about some of the weak headlines in sports. There was a fair amount of surprising news across the boards today and yesterday in sports, as well as getting into some college basketball a little bit later and talk about some hockey. So we will get right to it. We will start with the news yesterday that came down that Bryce Harper, the prized baseball free agent, agreed to a deal with the Philadelphia Phillies for 13 years and $330 million, a new record for the overall amount of money in a contract, not in the average annual value is just a little over 25 million a year, but still a massive contract for Harper. And as much as people talked about Harper and Machado, maybe not getting those contracts, they certainly did. The dude got paid. I mean, just paid $330 million. You realize that we're going to be 34 years old, Garrett, whenever Bryce Harper's contract runs out. Yes, because I was talking to my dad and I told him that he will be eligible for social security when um, his contract ends. So I don't mean to throw my dad under the bus. I love him to death, but uh, it's just a straight facts. I mean, shout out, Ben. Ben, you were talking about this on the way over here. You know, Bryce Harper talking about, well, just because I'm making $25 million a year, you know, look at NFL quarterbacks, they're making blah, blah, blah. That wasn't Bryce Harper. That was Kyler Murray. That was Kyler Murray. Murray, We can get to that in a minute, but that was was Kyler Murray talking about Bryce Harper's contract. The dude, 300, I mean, I just cannot believe he got $330 million. You know, I thought he probably hit 300, and I thought he might break Stanton's, but, man, 330, that's unreal. Right, and the thing came out that the Giants offered, like, 310 over 10 or 12 or whatever it was. I believe and it was over 12. I believe it, it was over... Whatever, was, they they offered over $300 million, and they didn't get him. I mean, that, that's pretty incredible that you could offer somebody over $300 million and not be able to sign him. Apparently, there was there was some teams offering him like $45 million a year. That's well, apparently like what the Dodgers years. did, yeah. Something like, I think it was like 168 over four or something like that. A very high amount. But overall, yeah, I mean, he got his money. He goes to the Phillies. And, you know, I certainly think there's a case to be made for certain players that they're not getting the contracts that they want still and that they probably deserve. But in terms of the higher level free agents... Those guys are, are still going to get their money, and that money st- is still there and exists, even if it takes a while. So I, I think that maybe will quiet some of the concerns about, you know, the the, the stars not getting paid because they eventually did, uh, and and I think that number is going to keep going up from where it is right now. Well, I, I think you're exactly right, but I also think that the thing getting overlooked in this is. Good for Bryce, man. He bet on himself. He turned down the $17.6 million qualifying offer from the Nationals. He thought that there was a better chance for him to get paid elsewhere. Obviously, there were a ton of dramatics, lots of criticism about his persona, the player he is, the teammate he is, although he was praised by praised by his new manager, Gabe Kepler, today. You got to hand it to him. He bet on himself, and it worked. It took well, him a while. It took it long enough, but he ended up getting what he well, wanted. Well, I think he bet on himself in turning down the Nationals' $300 million yeah. offer. Yeah, right? what, the, yeah. the qualifying offer he was never going to take. Right? He's right. never going to take one year for $17.6 million, Right. It's just a little part. It's just a little piece of the puzzle. Right. But I think if it's true the Nationals did offer him 10 for 300 at the end of the regular season, you're right. He did bet on himself that he could get more than that, and he did. You know, Generally speaking, Scott Boer's clients get – what Scott Boris thinks they deserve. It gen- not always, but generally, it, Boris says he thinks that guy's worth that much money. That's what they end up getting. And, you know, he's now, I think it's interesting that his contract had no opt outs. There was some debate about whether he wanted one or not. His side saying no. 
there was apparently a report that there were some discussions about that, but alternatively to the Machado deal and some of the other deals we've seen where guys can opt out after a couple of years or five years, whatever it is, he's not going to have that opt out. Obviously, and I think in a way it makes sense just because I think A-Rod at one point, opt, I can't remember if he opted out or he just be the contract and then he signed another big one, but he was likely never going to opt out of that contract anyway just because it's so much money and he wasn't going to get more than that. But I do think it's interesting that there is no opt-out, So bar and he has the no trade, so barring something you know weird happening, obviously Robinson Cano got traded after that big contract this winter, but he, he's a Philly for the next 13 years. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that clearly states something for Bryce Harper, and that's, you know, even though winning is something that's big to him, I, definitely money is way more important to him than, than winning, you know. You look at teams like the Dodgers and, and even the Nationals with a th- their $300 million offer. They've got some great pieces there. You can definitely tell that you know, the Phillies, I think, will be a good team. I, I don't think they're going to be a championship contender team, needless to say, right now. But you know, I think they'll be a very good team, and it's just clearly that the money was more important than him trying to go out and win a championship. Well, I think the most interesting thing that maybe the most nuanced thing that's getting overlooked here is that this was an intradivision move. That he moved from the Nationals in the NL East to the Philadelphia Phillies in the NL East. That potentially switches it to where, you know, you had multiple playoff teams out of that division last year. Excuse me, no, just the Braves, correct? I'm, I believe I'm mixing up my years. The Nationals didn't make yeah, the playoffs Yeah, just the Braves. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. But you have four teams that could potentially make the playoffs out of the NL East, right? New York Mets would tell you that it's five, but... I don't agree with that. I think that right now, the temperature of that division, I think you've got the Braves, the defending champion, given the benefit of the doubt, I still think they can win that division. I would put the Phillies right behind them in the 87 to 90 win category. Then I would slide the Nationals in there and the three spot. The Nationals can still make the playoffs here, but Harper moving from one team to the other within a division changes the division picture altogether. Maybe. I, I think the Marlins had a better, or the Mets have a better chance than the Marlins at making the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Mets have certainly upgraded their team as well. I think the interesting thing is, and we talked some about this before with the age of these free agents that, you know, at, at 25, 26, I don't remember Harper's exact age right now, but he, he's younger than most. 26. He's 26. He's younger than most free agents have been in the past. That, you know, to Chase's point, even if they're not a World Series contender this year or next year, you've still got a bunch of years of his prime ahead. To try to win compared to you know past contracts, someone like Albert Pujols, where it was the pressure was on to win right then with him because if you waited three four years down the line, that was when the decline was going to start happening because he was already in his thirties or maybe he was thirty when he signed it. I don't. I think he was. I think he was right at 30, right at thirty. But but, but but as you mentioned, you know that was a team that also signed, I believe, Josh Hamilton that off season or the next season. It was the whatever. next off season, yeah. The next off season, and then also had, I believe, they signed Jared Weaver. Or they had. They spent a lot of money on that team. They had a lot of money on that team. And like you said, they were in on buying in for the two or three years of primetime Albert Pujols. And he didn't produce like he used to. Chase, that look of disgust I gave you wasn't because you were incorrect. It was just the the very, very painful memories resurfacing of Josh Hamilton signing with the Angels on my birthday when I was a freshman in high school. Wow. That That hurt. That hurt. This show has taken a depressing (laughs) turn. Wow. That that is is terrible. I just had to to get that off my chest. We're doing Get It Off Your Chest later, but I had to get the first one on the air. Well, and I also think, you know, you look at the Phillies and just how different their team looks. You had JT Realmuto at catcher. You had Gene Segura at shortstop. You know, they signed Reese Hopkins long-term. They add Andrew McCutcheon. You know, certainly, there are still some pitching questions there, but that lineup is much, much stronger from where it was a year or two ago. And, to, frankly, to give their ownership credit, they said they were going to spend stupid money, and everyone kind of laughed like, ha-ha. Well, they did. I think they spent, like, over $500 million on you know free agents and re-signing players. They've spent that money, and... They've poured it into a team that had a lot of success, but the last you know, seven, eight years has not been nearly what they were of the, the late 2000s run when they won the World Series. Well, and, you know, I think the report that came out right after Bryce Harper had signed with the Phillies was that they, you know, with a record deal, it came out, well, the Phillies are no longer interested in Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. And I was like, well, I, I hope so. After, you know, dropping like four or $500 million this offseason, I would like to think you wouldn't be able to spend any more money. But, yeah, as you mentioned, man, that lineup is a massive improvement. You know, I think their starting pitching um, ha- is a very good starting pitching. You know, they have Aaron Nola, they have Jake Arrieta, they have Nick Pavetta as well, who took a big step forward last year. Um, bullpen, there's a lot of question marks there. Um, I have a really good closer. I cannot think of his name off the top of my head. Um, it's like Sir Anthony something. 
Sir Anthony Dominguez. Sir Anthony Dominguez, yeah, one one of the best young arms in baseball. He's a very good closer. Um, I believe there was a stretch last year where he went thirty something innings without allowing a right. hit. Um, twenty, I believe, twenty straight saves last year too. So they have some good pieces there. It's just gonna. I mean, I think the biggest thing in all of sports is how does everyone gel together. Right, and I also wanted to add on that, Chase. You hit it right on the head. Right in the middle, $448 million committed by the Philadelphia Phillies this offseason between signing Andrew McCutcheon, David Robertson, one of the best free agent arms on the market. They extend Aaron Nolan. They give him $45 million. They trade for Gene Segura. They trade for J.T. Realmuto, as Ben said. So lots of movement for the, for the Harper-led Philadelphia Phillies. Definitely the biggest mover and shaker of the offseason. All right, well, moving on from that, the other or one of the other pieces of surprising news that came out yesterday, besides the Jonas Brothers coming back, uh, was. Super big fan of that, Ben. Super big fan. Ben's a big fan. That shook him up. Probably not really our show kind of content, but if there's certainly some other shows on KCOU that we'll probably discuss that later. But what I was initially referring to was Jason Witten re signing with the Cowboys coming out. Off a year where he spent in the Monday Night Football booth with ESPN, let's just say the reviews were not great. He was uh, awful. I'm he, just gonna say it. he was an awful commentator. He was right. not very good. To be to be fair, he was not good. But also, I think his bar was set very high with how Tony Romo performed. Right. And well, just saying, de- just being the devil's advocate here, I think he brought up a lot of really good points. He just wasn't very eloquent with how he presented them. He stumbled over his words quite a bit, well, and that that's it. And we all we all make those errors. I mean, correct. I, I think the biggest problem I had with him is with most color commentators. I want to see how they dissect different plays. And yeah. Jay, don't get me wrong. Jason Witten did that, but a lot of times he was just saying stuff that you know the average everyday football fan right. would be like. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I could tell that from watching. You know, he just I, I seemed, think that was his. He seemed problem. like one of those guys who really needed to start on a lower level and get yep. some experience yep, before he right. Rose and up it's to that it's top it's spot. tough. It's tough to get in any broadcasting situation with no experience to do that. I think it's, it's very, very difficult. It's like if someone just showed up and decided they wanted to play football. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to do because you're just, it, it, he really had no practice, right? He just showed up and tried to do it. And Romo did it really, really well. And, but that's a more of a rare thing than what most guys do when they start out. Most guys start on some sort of lower level where they get some practice. And as you mentioned, Garrett Witten was thrown into the spotlight immediately and I think it's also tough in this day and age with Twitter, with other social media. He can say he was ignoring it all he wants. There's no question he saw everything that was out there and what people were saying about him. And I think that probably had some sort of effect on him. Regardless, he's now, at least for the time being, done broadcasting and going back to playing football. And sort of in a player-coach role for the Cowboys. I think the interesting thing is, you know, certainly, he, at least what he looked like on the broadcast, he was still working out. So it's not like he just stopped taking care of his body or anything. But I think it is a little bit difficult to come back from a year of not playing football and then playing football. We saw Marshawn Lynch try to do it this year. We're actually going to see Le'Veon Bell, who just sat out all of last year, try to do that again this year. And sometimes guys with injuries are kind of in a similar situation when they miss the whole year. But I'm going to be interested to see... You know, taking a whole year off of real football training and in contact, and how much, how well he can perform at an older age. You know, can he try to regain some of what he was able to do before, considering his age and considering the fact that he hasn't played football in over a year? Well, and I think too for the Cowboys, I understand that it is you know a one year deal, but please correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben. It was three and a half million dollars for one year, and you know you have to think if you're the Cowboys. Was it really worth it? You know, I get Jason Witten is a huge fan favorite. I know Garrett is a big Jason Witten fan, was very happy to see him come back. But at the same point, you have to really sit there and think, was it worth it to bring him back? You know, I thought there was a lot of young tight ends in their organization that were making, I believe, Jeff Swam at the, Swaim at the end of the year had a really, really solid end of the season. You know, he's going to have to take a step back now with Jason Witten. I, you know, I realize they're also going to cut his snap cat down to about 25, 30 snaps a game. But still... Either way, it, you know, you just have to really sit there and think, was it worth it or was it more of a PR move that the Cowboys made the playoffs last year? They're looking to expand on that. Or is it more of a win-now mode from Jerry Jones? Well, I think the other interesting thing that this affects is the Cowboys' drafting plans. I wonder who's on the top of the Cowboys' board now because I saw in many mock drafts that they were closely associated with taking Texas A&M tight end Jay Sternberger in the third round. I don't think that happens by any means this time. And obviously, it's a third-round pick. You don't know how much value is in there. That's just one example. I wonder how much of a need Dallas saw a tight end prior to Witten returning and now how that affects where they're going to take that pick now. 
Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I've seen in some mock drafts in the first round them going with you know Noah Fant or well they don't have TJ. a first round. They don't have a first because they traded for Amari Cooper. Okay, well, so yeah, that's that's those guys are probably gone but, in the first round. You know something something to that effect. Even in you know I believe they have a second round. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben. You know they've had some of those tight ends in the second round that they could take as well. So that as you mentioned, Garrett, it's definitely interesting to see you know how that affects their offseason too. Right. Maybe they you know I think Swain's a free agent and he was hurt towards the end of last year, but the, you know they still have Blake Jarwin, they still have Dalton Schultz. Maybe they give those guys another year of development before potentially taking a tight end, knowing that they still have Witten there. Speaking of drafting, it is the NFL Combine this week. We're going to get into that a little bit when we come up, come back and talk a little bit about Kyler Murray and as well as some of the other draft guys as they get all their measurements and 40 times and all those tests done this week in Indianapolis. We'll talk a little bit about the Combine coming up next here on the Preferred Walk-Ons. Most of your morning commute by tuning into the cast, the Colton Anderson Sports Talk, with me, Colton Anderson. Together with my partner in crime, David Coons, we break down the weekend sports with original angles and opinions you won't find anywhere else. There's no other place to be on Thursday mornings than the cast, the Colton Anderson Sports Talk, with David Coons on KCOU.FM, KCOU on the TuneIn app, and of course, 88.1 FM, KCOU Columbia. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? K and C Sports. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I tune in Tuesday mornings from eight to nine. K and C Sports. Get the radio to KCOU eighty-eight point one FM Columbia. Get- Kyle Jones and Cole Tusing talking all things sports. One more hit, no time to waste. K and C Sports. Make sure to start your week off right by listening to General Emission on KCOU 88.1 FM from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. every Monday morning. I think he's wrong, though. You're, it's a you're heartless agreeing move. and disagreeing There's, on the same topic. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing that it wasn't a smart move. I'm just not disagreeing with Anthony Davis's dad either. Once again, that's General Emission from 8 to 9 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM for the latest updates from the MLB, NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. Tune in to Comfy and Nautica for good vibes. Start your day Wednesdays from 10 to noon here on KCOU. Into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the blue box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you. So this end of this week, into the weekend and early next week is the NFL Combine in Indianapolis as it is every year. And a lot of speculation about the height of Kyler Murray and where that could place him in the draft, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chase, but he measured at 5'10". 5'10 and 1'8. 5'10 and 1'8. That was the big story. Is that so? There were some people who thought he was going to be 5'7 or something. And it's sort of, he's become, I think, maybe the most fascinating player in the draft, just not only because of his history, you know, being drafted by the Oakland A's in baseball and looking like he was going to play baseball and then winning the Heisman Trophy and, and deciding to play football, but just all the questions about his height, some questions about his dad being controlling. It seems like. Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops, his two college coaches at Oklahoma, have really come to his defense a lot about certain things. And now there's rumors that the Arizona Cardinals, you know, could trade Josh Rosen and draft Murray at the number one overall pick and him working under Cliff Kingsbury. He just seems like a really interesting story to me because of a, of a variety of reasons. And he's just got a lot to him and a lot unknown considering really, I mean, obviously he was great last year in college football, but he only started one year of college football and we've seen other guys like that, but it's just sort of an interesting scenario. And, you know, is he a guy that if he gets drafted by an Arizona or another quarterback needy team, 
can come in and play week one immediately. Well, that's really interesting, Ben. And I heard a lot of conversation on the Will Kane show on ESPN with Mel Kuyper yesterday. Uh, he called in and talked specifically about what exactly you brought up. And he thought that Kyler Murray was a much better fit in Clint, sorry, Cliff Kingsbury's Arizona season than Josh, wow, Arizona's scheme than Josh Rosen ever would be. And he gave one reason why. Because Josh Rosen is a traditional 3-5-7 drop-step quarterback. He thought that Kyler Murray was a guy who can run more tempo, which is going to fly in the face of traditional NFL offenses. But Cliff Kingsbury's team, that offensive line right now is not good enough to max protect. And that's what Josh Rosen needs. Right now, that offense is more suited to Kyler Murray. And I think that's why you're seeing so much association with him and the Cardinals. Because frankly, as of now, objectively, Kyler Murray would be a better fit in Cliff Kingsbury's offense than Josh Rosen would be. Who the heck is Mel Kuyper? Never forget the Indianapolis Colts GM whenever uh, they pass on a couple quarterbacks. Mel Kuyper, you know, very critically, you know, talked about them. I was just trying to make a joke there. But, yeah, I think, you know, it definitely is. He's at his first NFL combine ever. He he is. And, you know, I think it is definitely interesting, the Kyler Murray to Arizona. You know, I think the toughest part uh, about that situation is how are you going to move Josh Rosen? And not only how are you going to move Josh Rosen, how are you going to move him, and how are you going to get what you paid for him? Because remember, they traded up to get Josh Rosen as well. If I'm At not ten mistaken. last year in the NFL draft, right? I, I, how are you going to How are you going to turn that last year's number ten pick in, and you're going to get some value? That I think that's got to be Arizona's biggest question if they're going to want to make that move. Right. I think they're. I think you nailed that right there. You know, it, what if he's only worth a third or fourth round pick to somebody, right? So you just traded up in the first round last year to take him, and after one year. You're saying, yeah, you know, we're going to ship you off for a fourth-round pick. We know we didn't really give you much to work with. The coaching staff was a mess. The offense was a mess. And Talk yeah. about a one-and-done. Steve Wilkes, one season coaching the Cardinals. Right. I, mean, I mean, look look at the Rams with Jared Goff, right? A lot of that similar thing happened. With, I'm not saying Josh Rosen's Jared Goff, but a lot of the similar things happened in his first year with Jeff Fisher. And then they completely changed the coaching staff, and Sean McVay comes in, and things settle down. And now Jared Goff looks like one of the top tier quarterbacks in the league just because of there was more stability and it was a better situation and he was rushed his first year. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going to happen with Josh Rosen if he goes to another team. I'm just saying you're betting big there that you're giving up a lot of value. And then the other thing, too, is if you're going to take Murray at one, you know, you could debate could we trade down to five, for example, and still get him? If, and if you're going to take Kyler Murray at one, you better be dang certain that that's your guy. Because right. If not, the scrutiny is going to be Right, and then, high, and, and high, then you're high. debating, all right, should we trade down? You know, maybe someone wants to trade up for Nick Bosa. Can we trade down a little bit? But how far can we trade down without another team taking him? I think there's just a lot of questions here with him, as well as the fact that, you know, the, I think that baseball thing maybe never ever goes away. Like, you know, you talk about his dad, you talk about baseball. Is there immediate pressure if you draft Kyler Murray that you have to play him immediately or he's going to start to say, well, you know, I have another option here. Uh, I I just think he's a fascinating prospect. It's a fascinating time for the Cardinals because remember, even though they changed coaching staffs, that's still the same management staff that's there. So they would basically be admitting, yeah, we made a mistake last year taking Josh Rosen and having to take the fall significantly if they do indeed trade him. Well, it's clear that Arizona doesn't care what other people think because they hired Cliff Kingsbury, right? That That is a move that has already been scrutinized. Falling oh, upward, not to man. Fa- fail upward, get fired for going 5-7 and seven at Texas Tech and end up winding an NFL job. Who knows how that works? But that's one of the more fascinating stories we can remember in our lifetime. He's a good-looking I- guy, too. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just going to put Ryan it Ryan Gosling. Cliff Kingsbury is a good-looking guy. <laughs> He's got some Ryan Gosling to He's him. He's got yeah. some Ryan yeah. Gosling to him for sure. But I think that the Cardinals have proven that they do not care what the outside noise says. They hired Cliff Kingsbury. They weren't afraid to do it. I think that the fact that Arizona has the number one pick is the absolute perfect storm for somebody like Kyler Murray to wind up with them at number one. Well, and you also have to think about Ben, correct me if I'm wrong here too. In this day and age, people overvalue quarterbacks so much in the NFL draft that it is unreal. You know, I, I thought last year that you know, a couple of quarterbacks, you know, for example, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, probably were in the 20-ish to 30-ish round, and they automatically get bumped up to a top-10 pick because people are like, oh, my goodness, we don't have a franchise quarterback. What are we going to do? Yeah, quarterbacks are always going to jump up. I saw a mock draft yesterday that had Will Greer, the quarterback from West Virginia, going at the end of the first round. And, you know, Will Greer is probably not deserving of a late first-round pick, but that's what happens with these quarterbacks. So it's certainly interesting to see where Missouri drew, Missouri's Drew Locke lands. He certainly looks probably like a top-20 pick. Um, is there, Jason, in your mind, is there a team out there that you think, man, 
you know, that would be a really good fit. You know, you obviously have Denver potentially looking at a quarterback, but they added Joe Flacco, Jacksonville, the Giants, Miami, uh, potentially Washington with the injury to Alex Smith and looking like Colt McCoy is going to be their quarterback at least for part of the year next year. Is there a team in your mind where you feel like Locke would best fit with? If if I this this is a this is there's two two ideas here. There's a pipe dream and there's a real estate. The, the pipe dream for Drew Locke would be for him to fall towards the back end of the round and Bill Belichick grab it. That would be the pipe dream for Drew Locke. He gets probably a year or two to learn underneath Tom Brady. He gets to sit there and develop his game more. And as you've seen, look at the development he's made from his freshman year to his senior year. He's, I think he's going to continue to develop and be a great quarterback. I think that is the ideal, perfect spot for him. Um, but realistically, I, I think where he'll probably go and would be a good fit, I really like the Giants for him. You, you know, He's got tons of weapons. They don't have to rely on Drew to throw the ball 40 to 45 times a game. They can turn around and hand it off to Saquon Barkley. He's got a stud wide receiver in Odo Beckham. Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are also very solid pieces. Um, I really like what the Giants are doing, and they also have a solid defense as well. So I think that is the perfect plan. And I also think it's a team that – they're still very, very much attached to Eli Manning, and I think they're going to play Eli Manning. But if it got bad during the middle of the season, they would play Drew. and you know, he, So he would have a chance to play year one, but he's also going to have that chance to learn and develop as well. I like Miami for Drew Locke a lot, honestly. I think under a defensive head coach and Brian Flores, a first-year guy, that team is looking to start over. They said goodbye to Adam Gase, only for him to defect within the division to New York. I think that's going to set them back a little bit, but I think he will have the most room to grow in Miami because that's a team that is far from expecting to win now. I think with their hiring and Coach Brian Flores, they hit the reset button, and I think for a guy like Drew Locke, who clearly showed in his senior year, even though he had a fantastic statistical season, he ended up throwing for 28 touchdowns to only eight interceptions. I feel like that got overlooked, how well he put together his senior year towards the end of it. But I digress. I think that he's a guy who there were times this season, you look back in the Alabama game, John Gruden called him out in the senior bowl. What kind of throws were you making, especially in the interception, the second drive of the yep. game, not to get too nuanced or too detailed. You know, but he still he showed last year that he still got to Steins to grow. I think he has the most room to grow in Miami. You know, and, you, and you, you think about throws like that. You think about the South Carolina game, even though it's raining or something. That, that There's plays, you know, like that screen he threw right in the chest. That's right. how, you've got to just make smart exactly. plays in that. And that's just part of growing. That's right. part of learning. You know, he'll probably make some throws like that in the NFL as well. And, and an important note for some of our audience who might not know, Ryan Tannehill was locked up long-term with Miami, but they have since come out and said that they will not uh, seek to bring him back next year. Well, also, I think, too, I'm kind of with Jason. I think whatever quarterback that lands with the Giants is going to land in a good situation because even though the Giants fans may not want to hear that Eli's back for another year, but similar to the Kansas City situation a couple years ago when they had Alex Smith play for a year, Mahomes sat behind him. I think for any quarterback sitting a year behind a guy like Eli Manning, you know, have a veteran offensive quarterback mind and Pat Shermer as your head coach, and then you also get to have weapons like Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham if he's still there and Evan Ingram and the other guys they have, that's an ideal situation for any quarterback. We see these quarterbacks rushed into the league all the time now, and I think having the ability to sit there and learn for a year for a year from a veteran like Eli, who's won a couple Super Bowls, and just sort of take everything in, I think could be very, very beneficial. Because my concern is, and I know Garrett, you mentioned Miami could be a potentially good situation, but if he gets thrown into the fire there, and they don't have a lot of talent, and it's not working out very well. I think that can really ruin some quarterbacks, as we've seen in the past, because of the fact that just the whole first year going wrong can really throw you off. Going back to Josh Rosen, I think we really saw that last year. It was just there was so much going on there. There was turmoil within the organization. The player, the players were struggling. The team was struggling to the point where it just didn't work. And I think too often these quarterbacks are getting pressured into – being thrown into the fire immediately and these guys are just not ready for that role yet so I think whatever quarterback goes to the Giants and if they can sit a whole year behind Eli Manning and just watch and learn will be better off going forward well I just think when's the last time that a rookie quarterback who has been drafted and has been the starter from day one has turned out to be very very successful in their career I mean I mean that's the easiest question and I'm looking at Ben right now he can't name off the top of his head because Baker Mayfield? It's, it's very rare. He didn't even start from day one, though. It was probably Dak Prescott, and it was only because he there was an injury that forced him into yeah. playing. And, you know, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys watch more Dallas Cowboys football than him. 
it took Dak five or six weeks to really get a feel and get a feel of how the NFL played, and not to mention that he could hand the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott for 20 Right, I mean, Dak had a lot more talent around there. A lot of these quarterbacks, and Dak was, I think, a fourth-round pick, a lot of these quarterbacks are going high to teams that are not very good, and they don't have much talent around them, and they oftentimes have a coach that may or may, either they have a new coach or they have a coach that is coaching for his job, and... It's, it's not an ideal situation for anybody to walk into. And it can really, I think, affect quarterbacks when they've got guys. I mean, even watching Hard Knocks last year, right, watching some of Baker's frustrations with some of the guys on the Browns, he obviously had Jarvis Landry, but there were other guys there that were just not the level that he needed to be successful. And, and that can be a, a real impediment to quarterbacks early on in their careers. Well, and you think about most quarterbacks are given a playbook in, in college, and they're saying – well, as a freshman, most times freshmen don't start. I think Trevor Lawrence and, you know, two of them are some exceptions. But most of the time, freshman quarterbacks aren't going to start. You're saying, all right, we're going to give you a year to sit down, really memorize the paybook. Also, college playbooks are a lot less complex than NFL playbooks is. If you're a rookie quarterback and you're starting, here's the NFL playbook. You need to have it learned in two months. Everything, every audible, every check. And there's just that's just too much. There's You're going to miss something. You're going to have problems. You're going to have overthink stuff. You're going to make bad throws. It's just part of the game. On the opposite note, what is the team that you think would be the least amount of success for Drew Locke? I, I think Jacksonville. I was just going to say the same thing. Because I, 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 I think if, if Jacksonville gets Drew Locke, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, we're going back to the Super Bowl. We're going back to the AFC Championship. No, no, I think they're going to say, oh, boy, here comes another Blaine Gabbert. Because you yeah. go back to 2011, they took another Missouri big arm quarterback in the top 15, yep. and that did not work out well. Even though Blaine Gabbert, to be fair, has made a solid career for himself. Yeah, I, I think Jacksonville is the absolute worst fit. For I him. think so, too. I, yeah, I don't know if Jackson would be horrible just because I think they do have some talent there. They yeah. just lacked quarterback play, and I don't think Doug Mar- I think Doug Marone would be a pretty good quarterback mentor. I would be concerned about Denver just with how many cooks in the kitchen there, and I don't think John Elway is a very good general manager. They just hired a defensive coach in Vic Fangio. There's a lot going on in Denver, and it, to me, I, I just think that would be a bit of a mess for him to walk into, at, you know, let alone you know a KC player going to – guy from KC going to to Denver. But besides that, I just I don't think I don't think Denver will end up taking a quarterback now, but I just think Denver would be a, a tough situation right seeing, now. Seeing seeing Drew Locke in a Denver Broncos jersey would make a lot of mid Missouri stomach turns. Stomachs turn. Well and people gotta think about it. Joe Flacco's thirty three. Flacco's probably still got what, forty years maybe, five at, you know, if they really if really he turns out to be their guy and that's who they want. They probably got another four or five years of Joe Flacco. Well, that's been part of the problem in Denver. They just have not been able to decide who is their guy. Yeah. It seems like every you year know, there's Trevor, a different quarterback. Trevor Simeon was their starting quarterback a couple of years ago. So Yeah, a lot of different guys have come through Denver in the last few years since Peyton Manning retired. Uh, when we come back, we're talk a little bit about college basketball. Mizzou with a couple games this weekend in men's and women's basketball before they head toward the conference tournaments. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCU. Tune in to Cut the Nets on KCOU 88.1 FM with host Chuck Ryan. I think he's really changing how the game is played from the safety position. He basically played linebacker, too. And Zach Berman. Teams and the Warriors are just sort of sitting there like, hello. As they talk sports along with producer David Kuntz. Jets hired Adam Gase. Like, they're not going to get better. For NBA. This is leading up to the Knicks going on a free agent binge this summer. Yeah, and then they're going to end up signing, like, Tobias Harris. NFL. The most bland, like, milk toast football that there is. Hey, they win. And Mizzou commentary. If Mizzou doesn't win, uh, it's tank mode. That doesn't work in the What do you tank for? Check out Cut the Nets, part of KCOU Sports Saturday, every Saturday from noon to one. Always shoot your shot. Tune in to Preferred Walk-Ons, a weekly sports talk show updating you on everything Mizzou and professional sports. Chase Phillips, Ben Krakow, and Garrett Jones hit the airwaves at 4 o'clock every Friday with balanced and insightful sports talk. We also bring on a variety of guests in studio and over the phone from Columbia and around the SEC to give national insight and perspective. And when we've had enough, you won't want to miss Get It Off Your Chest, our ending segment where we blast what's driving us crazy in sports over the mid-Missouri airwaves. Join us for year two on KCU in Columbia, worldwide on KCU.fm in the Blue Box and in the TuneIn Radio app. 
Preferred Walk-Ons, Mizzou's most insightful sports talk from your favorite bench warmers, is now available to listen anytime, anywhere. After every Friday's show with Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones, we post a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, and anywhere else you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter, at KCOU Walk-Ons. End your week with Preferred Walk-Ons, a part of KCOU Sports, and now streaming. to the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you here on this Friday afternoon and talk a little bit about college basketball as the season is quickly winding down as we have hit March. And of course, that means March Madness is just a few weeks away. It's a week later this year, so not as quickly into March as sometimes it is, but this year still... The season is rounding towards the end and the finish line, and Mizzou men's basketball is slowly getting there. They, uh, it, let's just say, it's not gone particularly well in the recent weeks. I, I guess if 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 you were a fan of a team that was trying to tank, if Mizzou could tank in in college basketball, it would it would be great because like they're in almost every game, but they find a way to lose, and then you're as a team a fan of a team that's tanking, you're like. Oh, well, it was competitive, but they lost, so, you know, still got a good chance at a top pick. But in the college sports, it doesn't really work like that. So, not really. really. Uh, But anyway, Mizzou will be in action tomorrow, taking on South Carolina at Mizzou Arena. 2.30 is the official game time. Garrett will be part of the crew on the call for that one. Tiger pregame live presented by El Rancho begins at 1.45 so make sure to stay tuned in that a quick preview of that game Garrett yeah uh, there's still a ton of intriguing storylines and and uh, even though both teams have been absolutely decimated by injuries South Carolina having one of the strangest seasons I think many of us have ever seen uh, they start out below 500 in non-conference play currently sitting at 9-6 and six in the SEC Uh, They had really, really tough losses, 20 points to a really good Wofford team at home, but still a mid-major. Then they went on the road and lost to a Wyoming team that's ended up winning less than 10 games. Then they get an SEC play. They beat Ole Miss twice. Uh, They really compete with Tennessee. Uh, They've obviously beat Missouri back in January. So Frank Martin, one of the most well-respected coaches in the SEC, battles his brother by namesake only, Conzo Martin, tomorrow. And for Missouri, still a lot to play for. Uh, Torrance Watson coming off a career-high game. Jeremiah Tillman with a lot to play for, a lot of scrutiny surrounding him. So there is a ton to look forward to in that game tomorrow. I'm looking forward to calling it with Kyle Jones, and thank you to Josh Neighbors for agreeing to produce it. Well, make sure to stay tuned for that one tomorrow as part of KCOU Sports Saturday. Not a marquee weekend in college basketball. Is there just one matchup that features two ranked teams that is Kentucky and Tennessee as they match up once again tomorrow they played a couple weeks ago in Lexington a game that Kentucky won pretty handily and now they go over make the short trip to Knoxville as these two teams face off once again and there potentially could be a lot on the line in that matchup as the race for the top in the SEC is very, very close right now. Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU all at 13-2. and two, And the number one seed could really pay dividends come SEC tournament time for either, any of these teams as there is potentially, you know, I think most people think that there's three number one seeds locked up right now in, in Duke, Virginia, and, and Gonzaga, barring something crazy happening. But then that fourth one, a lot of people think it's Kentucky's right now, but they're still... A fair amount of basketball left to be played. Kentucky struggled the other night at home against Arkansas. Had to make a comeback to win that one. And, you know, that fourth spot is up for grabs. And this game tomorrow could go a long way towards deciding who gets that fourth number one. I think you said it perfectly, Ben. I think there's three locked number ones. And then I honestly think that there's three or four teams that are number one seeds. Um, And I really don't think it matters which one goes where. 
Um, you know, I think you throw Kentucky in there. I think you throw Michigan State in there as well. Um, I, I think you can't look over North can't look over North Carolina. They're the number five team in the nation right now. You know, I am a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, but still can't look over them. Twenty three and five, and they'd have a win over Duke. They have played all four of the projected number one seats right now, and they're two and two against those two. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, I think that's a huge you know factor. I think Tennessee is still in the race for number one seed. I think for them, it would have to you know they have to find a way to win the SEC and then probably win the SEC tournament somehow if they wanted to be a number one seed. I don't think they can lose the rest of the way. But, you know, like you said, Ben, there's there's not a lot of ranked matchups, but it is a, there's a lot of bubble teams that have a lot to play for this weekend. You know, you look at Clemson, North Carolina. Clemson's right on the bubble right now as well. They need a win. You look at LSU, Alabama. Alabama needs a win and get in the tournament as well. And, you know, there's just so many more as you go down. You look at Ohio State, Ohio State-Purdue. Ohio State needs another quality win to get in. And there's just a lot of good matchups. I think one that's really kind of under the radar but intriguing is an opponent Missouri has played this year, and I think it's going to be UCF and Houston. You know, Garrett talked about Houston last week as one of his, you know, teams of very impressive. Big fan of the Cougs. Big fan of the Houston Cougars, 27-1. and one, But UCF's nothing to sleep on, 21-6. and six, One of those six losses to the Missouri Tigers at home. But UCF, Taco Falls really starting to emerge into what they kind of thought he was. I believe they're already at 25 points and 21 rebounds or something ridiculous like that so i think that will be a good game as well and you know lastly a, a, a great bubble game is texas tech and tcu tcu really needs a win against the top you know top tier team to make sure that they're in the tournament and then lastly that night nevada utah state nevada's really fallen off since last year they've really fallen off throughout the year and utah state very very good team that I, if they make a tournament Mark my words, would not be surprised if they're like a 12, 11 seed that could make a run to possibly the Sweet 16. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there, Chase. It's funny that you look at Nevada, only two losses on the season, but with the quality or lack thereof of opponents on their schedule, they're like Gonzaga. They just can't afford to lose. Yep. Because if they do, not only does it harness or excuse me, tarnish their image on the national uh, reputation scale, it also hurts their their chances to uh, for their seeding in the NCAA tournament. So I thought I really liked what you had to say there. I've, I've seen Nevada fall all the way in the last two weeks since they've had a couple of their losses. I've seen them fall from a one seed almost down to a four seed now. Wow. And well, just, it, you know, and that's just it was strength of schedule. It's all it is. Yeah, you can say that in the Pac-12 too, right? I mean, Washington last night loses to uh, Cal, a team that has five wins all year, including last night. Or six total. Six now. Six Conzo now. Martin sure left the cupboard empty. Yeah, <laughs> Berkeley. They, they only That was their first conference win of the year. Yep. I think that was first win since December. It was Washington's second conference loss of the year, and now they're down to like I think a nine seed in Joe Lenardi's bracket today. So that means literally that one loss. I mean, you look at Washington; they have two conference losses. Their record looks really good, but the Pac-12 has been so poor this year that they're already nearing bubble territory just from that one loss. Yeah, that'd be insane if the Pac-12 only sent one team to the tournament. I also wanted to bring up, you know, since there's not that many marquee games this weekend, Chase, Kentucky, Tennessee. I do not think that this is going to be the last time these two teams meet this season. I think they're going to end up rematching like they did last year in the SEC tournament championship game. And I think for Tennessee, you have to win that second game because with the John Paul, excuse me, John Calipari coach team, I think they're one of the few teams that could potentially win three games against an opponent in a single year. We saw this last year. Kentucky struggled immensely deep into conference play, but they turned it around come March. I think that John Calipari teams, they play extremely well when they see the calendar flip, and I think that they absolutely have to win this game because if they otherwise don't, I think that they're going 0-3 against the Wildcats this year. And Ben, ben I'll ask you this, too. You know, th- this is this is more to Duke. You know, they lost Tuesday night to Virginia Tech. You know, I, I think Tennessee, Kentucky, as you mentioned, Garrett, I think those are two teams that are very well-rounded and very good basketball teams. I expect both those teams to be in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, you know, possibly run to the Final Four. But going back towards Duke more, you know, if, if Duke starts to struggle more and Zion can't come back and play this week and, you know, say that he's out the rest of the regular season, they lose a couple more games, and say they don't win the ACC tournament, do you think the committee will have, I, I don't want to say pity, but will, will have some understanding knowing that Zion Williamson wasn't playing? And when he was playing, that they were this dominant team? Do you, or do you think that they're going to seed them based off record and based on what they've done? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I do think they, they do factor in injuries. They do take that into yeah, account. Correct. I mean, part of it is their next two games are against Miami and Wake Forest. They're not going to lose those games. They shouldn't anyway. Right, they shouldn't. I mean, it would take a, a near miracle for one yeah, of those teams correct. to beat them. And then they have North Carolina the final game. 
you know, if Zion's not back by the ACC tournament, maybe you knock them down. But it seems like, from what everybody's saying, he probably would be back by then. Right, and this is just, just yeah, just, just hypothetical. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I think they could get knocked down if they, you know, if they were to lose in the, you know, their second or game. You know, if they got knocked out in the semifinal uh, of the ACC tournament and had lost North Carolina the last game of the regular season, then yeah, I think there's a case where you could say they get knocked down. You know, again, you mentioned North Carolina. I don't think they would put three ACC teams as one seeds. So North Carolina won that second game against Duke and then won the ACC tournament. You could certainly make the case that they should be the one seed over Duke in that scenario. I think also, you know, Michigan State playing Michigan, the final game of the regular season, Michigan State upset Michigan at Michigan, I think just last week, and then those two teams will play at Michigan State. If Michigan could get that win and then win the Big Ten tournament, they could potentially still be in line for a one seed. So uh, the couple of those games are, are big down the stretch in conference play for, for a couple of teams. Garrett, obviously you mentioned Tennessee and the, you, Michigan as well. Well, and that's big too. You know, that Michigan-Michigan State game, as you mentioned, Ben, Michigan's able to win that game. I believe they clinch a share. I believe it will be... Uh, right, right now they sit is Michigan State and Purdue are both fourteen and three, and Michigan is fourteen and four. So it would take a Purdue loss in Michigan to win out and beat Michigan State, and I think it would be a three-way tie for first place in the Big Ten. I think each three teams would get a share. I don't know how that tiebreaker works in that conference, um, but I believe it'd be a share between those three. Well, and then one more note here, Chase. I thought this, you mentioned Taco Fall. This is pretty amazing today from Roger Sherman in the Ringer. The career record for a field goal percentage is 67.8, set by Oregon State's Steve Johnson from 1977 to 1981. Taco Fall is shooting, he's a senior this year, is shooting for his career 74.1%, smashing a 40-year-old record by nearly 7 percentage points. If he were to finish his season by missing his last 59 shots without making any, he would still set the record. He's missed only 40 shots this year, though, so that probably is not going to happen. The incredible note there. That he, I mean, he's obviously seven foot six. We saw him this year, yeah, but he's I mean, massive. He's massive, but the fact that he is ben that far, that game. yeah, he's that far ahead of everyone else ever in college basketball is pretty incredible. All right, when we come back, we're just going to do some quick hockey talk and wrap up with get it off your chest. You're listening to the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU. KNC Sports. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I tune in Tuesday mornings from 8 to 9. KNC Sports. Radio to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Kyle Jones and Cole Tusing talking all things sports. One more hit, no time to waste. KNC Sports. Every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. KCOU 88.1 FM is the place to be. Make the most of your morning commute by tuning into The Cast, the Colton Anderson Sports Talk with me, Colton Anderson. Together with my partner in crime, David Coons, we break down the weekend sports with original angles and opinions you won't find anywhere else. There's no other place to be on Thursday mornings than The Cast, the Colton Anderson Sports Talk with David Coons on KCOU.FM, KCOU on the TuneIn app, and of course, 88.1 FM, KCOU, Columbia. What happened to the March Madness? Welcome back into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box Spin, Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you. As we wrap up our final segment of the day here on the Preferred Walk-Ons, also you can make sure to check out the podcast on Spotify, and it's linked through our Twitter account if you missed anything from at our KCOU show. At KCOU Walk-Ons. At KCOU Walk-Ons. Now, just briefly, a little bit of hockey talk. The hockey NHL trade deadline was just this past Monday. A fair amount of trades took place, uh, most notably out of Ottawa, where they traded all of Matt Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle, and then today fired their coach, Guy Boucher, 
and their general manager said he wanted improved play from his players, and I was like, I think I and most other people were like, Should have well, said that in October. Yeah, when you trade all your best players away and then your team's not playing very well, I think we can kind of figure this out. That, uh, team, that team should be changed from the Ottawa Centers to the Ottawa Tank. That's I mean, what they need to do. Between is, their is owner tank. and the fight a for a new arena, they're, I don't even know how they got close to the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago, but... Yeah. They are so far behind now. Game seven, correct? Game seven in in, in overtime, I believe, right? But it has way, way, way fallen off there uh, in in Ottawa. Craig Anderson standing on his head, that's how. I I don't even think he's been able to do much to try to save things (laughs) this year. They they really need to. Well, when Craig Anderson saves, you know, 46 of the 49 shots and they they put up 18 shots and can't score, then, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. But anyway, I guess I'll ask you guys quickly before we get it off to get it off your chest. Of the, all the moves that took place, is there one move to you that was like, man, you know, that 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 could make a big difference come playoff time? I got to say it's Mikael Granlund to the Nashville Predators. That guy in his own right was a very, very talented, respectable player with the Minnesota Wild. And to be fair, Nashville really had to give up a lot in Kevin Fiala. That's a guy who's been with this team on all of its playoff success, went deep into their Stanley Cup run. Nashville's trying to mix it up. I really respect them making that move for Mikhail Granlin. I think that's the kind of player that could set them over the top and push them to finally secure that division in the, that division title in the Central. I'm going to say mine is Mark Stone of the Mark Stone of the Knights. That's going to be mine, and I, I think that there's a more overlying story in that. You know, they offered him. I believe he signed an eight-year, seventy-six million-dollar contract extension with the Knights, which is a huge deal, great for him. I think that's something they really need to look at is William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall are still on their rookie deals. And when those run up, you know, they've got a lot of money locked into a lot of different people. They've got Paul Stasny. They have Marc-Andre Fleury. Now they've got Mark Stone. It's going to be really interesting to see if they can keep those core pieces and keep that team together. Yeah, and I think you know, Vegas is is really an incredible story. I know that you know, they were certainly helped by the draft, but partially what they're able to do is they, they drafted so well in the expansion draft that they could take some of these draft picks that they took in the actual draft and then trade them for a guy like Mark Stone He's certainly an impact player, and you know they look poised to make another run in their second year. Obviously, going to the Stanley Cup final in their first year, and gone a little cold recently, but they're still yeah, gone like a little bit colder. But I think they're certainly st- still a threat. And you know, I, I agree with you, Chase. That was the one I was going to say as well. And also, I mean, how incredible was it too that like I don't know if you guys saw the video. It was trending on Twitter where he like comes out of the gate at the airport after he landed. And they have like cheerleaders and a mascot and music playing. Like that was really cool. It, it, it's different. Like they they've done hockey, and I, I think that's one of the cool things we're seeing in hockey now. People, there's been a lot of talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and their post game celebrations, and you know, is that the standard? But you know, the, some of these teams that were not necessarily part of the original six, part of the you know long time NHL standing, are doing things differently. We saw it with Nashville and what they've done, and all their country music and all their different stuff they do before games. Now Carolina. And I think Vegas and, you know, everyone, I've never been to a game there, but everyone says it's just a different kind of experience. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And I think it's pretty cool that these teams are sort of embracing their own identities. And I'm not a fan of necessarily the people that are saying like, well, it's been done like this for 50 years, so we have to do it like this. Well, I think they're doing the one thing that is lost in professional sports. They're, and, you know, this is an old cliche, and, I, you know, I believe my dad and what my mother would always say this all the time. They're having fun. They're having a good time of what they're doing. You you can tell that when the Knights go to play hockey, they're enjoying what they're doing. There are some people who play professional hockey or play professional baseball, and honestly, they look like they dread their lives. They look like, oh, my goodness, I have to go play professional baseball, yeah. not like, oh, my goodness, I'm in the top 2% of the whole entire world that I get to go do this every single day. And I think right. that really is, you know, like you said, Ben, Carolina, you know, the Blues play the, her, or play the Hurricanes tonight. They have a great atmosphere there. It, it is an, it is incredible just to sit there and even watch a game on TV and watch what they're doing, you know. And I, I just think that that's what we need to get more back to is more back to really enjoying what the game is more than the standards set, you know, like you said, been 50 years ago. Right. It's funny because it reminds me of, you know, you play youth rec church league basketball and what does your head coach say after the game? All right, guys, we lost by 48, but hey, you know what? We didn't even take score because it doesn't matter. Did we have fun? And then you yep. get the chorus of, yep. yeah. It feels like once you start to play like middle school league basketball or whatever, that just goes out the door. I think we might see a cultural shift in sports because of what teams like Vegas and Carolina are doing in the NHL right well, now. And I think they're 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 trying to uh, you know make what their market wants happen, right? Because people in Vegas want to see that kind of stuff happen, and maybe people in Boston or people in Toronto don't want to see that kind of thing happen, yeah. but people in Vegas 
they're kind of new to hockey, at least some of them. This is the kind of stuff they want to see. It's a Vegas-style thing, and they're liking it. Yep. And I, I think it, it work, It doesn't necessarily going to work everywhere, but it's working there, and I, it's fun to see. And real quick before we get off, go to get off your chest, if there was a, if there is your pick for a surprise team that has really shocked you that they've made the run that they've made this year, who, who would your guys' surprise team be? Oh, I think it's without that? a doubt the Islanders. I, I mean, they lose John Tavares. It, it looked like things were going to go downhill. They bring in Barry Trotz, who won the Stanley Cup with the, the Capitals last year to coach them. They've rebounded better than anyone could imagine. They're a real threat in the East now, and they have a ton of cap space this offseason. I, I think the Islanders have, have shocked people more than anyone ever thought. Beat beat John Tavares and the Maple Leafs last night. Six to one. Six to one. Six to one. But go ahead, Gary. What, what was your uh, surprise team? I was just going to say, I hope my sister Miranda is listening right now because she is a big Montreal Canadiens fan for some reason. And they have really surprised me this year. They're at 75 points. They're in a playoff spot. That's a team that Mark Bergevin, the GM, long time for the Montreal Canadiens, under heavy scrutiny for some major moves last offseason. They trade away Alex Galchenyuk. They trade away their captain, Max Pacioretty. The fact that they're in a playoff position this year, I think, is a huge miracle. And Carey Price, even though he's been banged up for most of the season, he's looking like he's returning to the form he once was. And Chase, I've got an idea of who you, who uh, your surprise team is, but I I'm want to hear. Actually, it. I'm actually not going to go. You know, I'm not going to go with the St. Louis Blues. Although I, they I, do I, deserve a shout out do, for do, how much they've turned it around. I am a diehard Blues fan. I'm not going to go with that, and I will give them a shout out. It's been incredible what they've been able to do. They have taken points in their 14 of their last 16 games. Uh, did have an incredible 11 game win streak, which was ended by Dallas and came back and won against Boston and then lost in overtime, but then they won the other night against Nashville, and probably one of the most impressive games I've watched them play all year. Outshot Nashville 43-19. to uh, But mine's going to be the Calgary Flames. And, you know, the Flames have had a lot of talent, but I think they're really, really starting to really, really starting to gel together. And, and, you know, one of my favorite nicknames in all of hockey is Johnny Hockey. I, I love Johnny Goudreau, and it's really nice to see him. You know, he's got 82 points this year playing some really good hockey. I think, you know, you have to throw him in the MVP conversation as well. Uh, you know, I think Nikita Kucherov will probably take that, um, considering he's already over 100 points this year. Lightning um, are already past the century mark, too, in yeah, points-wise. And, and that's just ridiculous. But I think Calgary has really surprised me that they're, you know, the number one team in the East right well, now. Well, and Mark Giordano, too, at 35, has over 60 points as a defenseman this year, too. He's got to be right in the Norris discussion there. All right, now time for get it off your chest quickly with things that are bothering us in sports this week. Mine was that the NBA, I think the deadline is today that you have to be released by your current team if you're going to sign with somebody else to make to be able to be eligible in the playoffs. Stop Pau Gasol released by the Spurs, signed with the Bucks, or he's going to sign with the Bucks. You don't have to sign by today, but you have to at least not be on a previous team. But the Bulls refuse to release Robin Lopez because they don't want him to go to the Warriors. And to me, like, it's this really petty thing. They've been doing this all year. The Bulls are way out of it. They have no advantage of keeping Robin Lopez on their team. They're not even the same conference with the Warriors. I don't know why they won't let him go. I mean, and also, Robin Lopez, if he went to the Warriors, might play 10 minutes a game. He's not going to, like, lift the Warriors to a championship that they're probably already going to win anyway. I don't get it. To me, it's just a petty thing, and it's not a good look for potential guys going to Chicago down the line when you have a management that is unwilling to do something like that. As if the Bulls needed to do anything more to tarnish their reputation in the yeah. front office. Uh, I'm in a good mood. I don't really have anything to get off my chest. It's a Friday. We've got a good weekend ahead of us. I'm really excited to be on the call tomorrow. But I wanted to share a story that just really stuck out to me. I helped put this story together for KOMU last night working out there. Um, Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri, made history last night becoming the first major college sports team. They are NAIA, so they're not Division One, Two, or Three. But they offered Tony Harris a 5'7", 164-pound free safety out of Detroit, East Los Angeles Community College. She will become the first female player to receive a scholarship for college football in America. I think that's super cool. Good for her. She's inspiring a lot of people, and I hope to see her do well for the Eagles. Mid-Missouri's own, too. I think that's so cool. It's here in Mid-Missouri. And, and, and mine's something that's stirred from the, about the past week and a half. And, you know, I understand that Duke and Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson is one of the greatest athletes and players that I have seen in college basketball. But I'm getting sick and tired of every single time Duke loses. Oh, well, they didn't have Zion. Well, they didn't have Zion. So, they, I mean, you got to take Petty on. They didn't have Zion. Oh, well, you mean that they didn't have the number two player in the class, the number three player in the class? They don't have all these other five stars that they've recruited, and they're just all awful, apparently. They all can't play basketball. I get that you lose Zion Williamson. I read an article the other day. It was when Carolina beat Duke, and it says, North Carolina wins, 
uh, would they have done it without with with Zion playing? Was the article not not to give any Carolina North Carolina any credit? They were up 22 points in that game and scored 64 points. It was well, I mean, they won, but Zion wasn't playing. So would they really have won? And to me, if you're writing an article, if you're judging something like that, I get that Zion Williamson being out was a big factor in the game. That is not the reason that Duke lost by 16 points and was down 20 at home. I think that's completely fair. And I think the other night against Virginia Tech, they're a much better team than Virginia Tech. Even if Zion Williamson wasn't playing, they should still win that game, no matter what. And that article was released against Virginia Tech as well. All right, well, that'll do it for our show today. Make sure to stay tuned to KCOU this weekend. Garrett, as you mentioned, is on the call tomorrow against South Carolina, Mizzou, and South Carolina at 2.30 pregame show at 1.45, presented by El Rancho. And then Sunday, Mizzou women basketball with their final regular season game of the season. They won in Fayetteville last night against Arkansas. They take on Alabama at Mizzou Arena. I believe that game is at 3 o'clock. So make sure to stay tuned to KCOU for that one as well as Mizzou wraps up their regular season before they head next week to Greenville, South Carolina for the SEC Women's Tournament. Thanks for joining us today. We will talk to you all soon. This has been the Preferred Walk-Ons. Disappointment haunted all my dreams And then I saw her face